Well, the, tell me if you disagree. Outside of Yamamoto, who we all believe is the potential ace, there's not an ace out there. There just isn't. there. And I think the guy, and it's crazy to say this because he's the oldest of the three. We just mentioned Lucas Giolito, who right now is 29 years old, and he'll turn 30 in the middle of July. So this is his 29-30 season. Between Lucas Giolito and Eduardo Rodriguez, another guy who the Mets have been linked to, Eduardo Rodriguez is 30, but he's going to be 31 first week of the season. And then you've got Jordan Montgomery, who's also 31. Jordan Montgomery feels a lot younger than he actually is. I don't know why. <laughs> but he, Like, if I asked you how old he is, I don't know if you would have guessed he's going to be 31 for opening day. Well, no, he's only pitched, like, am I wrong to say he's pitched four seasons? Is that is that? Well, sort not really. Here's the deal with Jordan Montgomery. He got called up with the Yankees in 2017 and pitched a full season. 2018 and 2019 were just completely thrown out because he needed Tommy John surgery. So those two years get thrown out. He comes back in 2020 during the pandemic, pitches in coming back from Tommy John surgery, limited amount of time because it's the pandemic, pitches to a five ERA. Since that moment, so now you're talking about the 21 season, the 22 season, and the 23 season, Jordan Montgomery takes the baseball every five days. He pulls a Giolito, if you will. And here's what you'll notice with him. 2021 with the Yankees makes 30 starts, limited innings, 3.8 ERA. Okay, not bad. Improvement. 2022, he puts up virtually the same numbers in his first 21 starts, and then shockingly gets traded to the Cardinals, which I think we all remember in New York for Harrison Bader. He goes to the Cardinals, and since the moment he got traded away, and I'm not saying this is an anti-Yankee thing, it could just be more time removed from Tommy John, which is a big deal, ask Zach Wheeler. Like, there is something to that. But since he got traded to St. Louis in the latter half of 2022, the guy's been amazing. Like, I'll give you the numbers. Like, you just heard what I said. High three ERA, pitching for the Yankees. It's blah. It's back of the rotation stuff. He goes to St. Louis, makes 11 starts in 2022, a 3-1-1 ERA, far and away lowest of his career. First half in St. Louis this past year, 21 starts, 3-4 ERA. Not bad. He goes to Texas and now becomes a star. 11 starts in Texas, 2.79 ERA, and then we recall what he did in the postseason, in which he had a lot of really good moments. So he feels, even at age 31, like a guy on the rise. Like, he's a guy who really, since the latter part of 2022, so for the last year and a half, is a guy that's putting it all together. And because he's a lefty, and we've seen that before from lefties in the past, I think Montgomery, despite being the oldest of the three guys we just talked about, I almost feel like there's more to him getting better than Giolito and Rodriguez. That's how I would view Montgomery moving forward, which is why of those three guys, I'd probably put him top on my list of just those uh, three. Yeah, no, I could see that. Rodriguez is too inconsistent. I know that he's had some some rough seasons and again I think there's some other issues off the field too that he's just not you know I don't know if I want someone that's going to be having to take a leave of absence you know for for a month and I, no, there's nothing wrong with that I'm just saying like I, it's too valuable 
you you need these guys to pitch. And you know, again, like, like you said, Rodriguez pitched for uh, twenty six games last year. But if you can get a guy who's going to pitch every 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 fifth day, it's it's important. And you're right, Montgomery. Look at his numbers. Besides that, besides that one year, five year right, he's been pretty freaking dominant. And he's getting better. It feels like he's an ascending player. The the Mets have now also been linked to Blake Snell, and I think a part of why I'm so concerned about Blake Snell, and just to put him in the same pool here, he just turned thirty one years old as well. So same age as Jordan Montgomery, a lefty, and clearly more established in terms of the fact the guy's won two Cy Youngs. And I don't want to minimize the fact he's won two Cy Youngs. But he feels the opposite. And I know that's crazy because he just won the Cy Young. I don't feel like you would be getting the best out of Blake Snell. And a lot of it is a bias towards the fact that he walks as everybody. There is definitely a bias towards that. But I want to be fair. Ian Nolan was one of the many people that emailed us this week, and he wanted to make a defense of Blake Snell. So I want to give him that shot to do that. Maybe it'll open our eyes. And to anyone out there who's anti-Blake Snell, we give him a fair shot. So here's what Ian wrote. Gentlemen, I wanted to shoot off an email to counterpoint the anti-Blake Snell movement that you and I, to be honest, have been a part of this offseason. In a world where the Mets miss out on Yamamoto, I think Blake Snell should actually be considered a fallback option for us. Let me preface this by saying I do not want or I do not think Blake Snell is an ace long term, but I do think if the market comes back a bit, he's a great option to slot next to Senga for the next six years. Why? Number one, he's still 30 years old, meaning a six-year deal could work for us at ages 31 to 36, which is also in the Mets win window. His baseball savant page tells you he didn't get lucky this year. He essentially led baseball in run value, off-speed value, whip percentage, K percentage. Even his exit velos and hard hit rates were excellent. Number three, he's an off-speed and breaking pitch monster. His curveball and the highest whiff rate in the league. His non-fastballs are unhittable. It seems that a pitcher who's breaking stuff first and not just the thrower will age better than a Syndergaard type. Number four. After he struggled out of the gate in 2023, he made adjustments and was dominant, pitching to a 2.25 ERA and a ridiculous 182 ERA+. plus. Yes, the walks were an issue, but he also punched out 234 batters to go along with his league-worst 99 free passes, so he can absolutely limit damage. Finally, his career 127 ERA+, plus over 1K per innings, compared to Aaron Nola, who's 113+. plus. Yes, durability is an issue, but I think his upside is quite higher than Aaron Nola's. If Aaron Nola gets seven years, 172, it seems at least possible. Snell signs for more like six years and 150, given his durability history. That's the same AAV as Nola, minus a year. In today's pitching market, is it that wild to pay a 31-year-old two-time Cy Young winner coming off a monster season, $150 million? It doesn't seem like it to me. Again, I'm not in love with Snell. But I also think there's too much slander going on with his name. And if he signed with the Mets, I'm confident he'd be pretty damn good addition. As long as you understand there will be a range in his year-over-year performance. Thank you for hearing my thoughts. So, look, I mean, there's a lot of good points about his success and how he's had his success. He gets a ton of swing and misses. He strikes the world out. Look, of course he did that when you're walking 99 guys in a season. You're going to have to make it up with something. I just wonder, at 31, 
32, 33, when he hasn't even been reliable to this point when he was in his 20s. Like he was missing time, maybe not months at a time, but even 2022, he missed eight starts. That's significant. And for a guy that doesn't go deep into games, he's a five-inning pitcher. What he was able to pull off this past year was he was a five-inning pitcher, essentially, that won the Cy Young. More like a six-inning pitcher. I'm being a little nitpicky, if you will, but five and two-thirds. And a part of that is he throws a million pitches. A part of that is after five innings, he's at a buck oh five. He's at a buck ten. So he's already proven in his 20s that as dominant as he can be, and you're right, he's had two dominant seasons in which he's won the Cy Young, but in both years, he threw 180 innings. Think about that. And I know it's 2024, we have to get over it. That's the way pitchers are. But I also don't have the stomach to give that kind of contract. You want to tell me how fair it is compared to Aranola? I'm also thinking about next year, the year after, and the year after that, and the other pitchers that may become available. That's why I'd almost rather kick the can down the road and go short-term and maybe buy Corbin Burns next year than giving Blake Snell seven years. Now, if the Mets sign Blake Snell, I think that my reaction would be, okay, I don't love it. Hopefully he's dominant. I mean, I don't know if I'd scream and yell about it because I get it. He is coming off a Cy Young last year, but I would be very nervous about giving Blake Snell a contract like that. It it screams, uh, unfortunately, desperation that you think you have to go and get a quote-unquote Cy Young winner. Like, I look at him right now and I see – David Price written all over him, like when he went to the, the Dodgers and the Red Sox. Like he just, the tail end was just not good for David Price. You look at some other pitchers too, just like Carlos Rodon, for example, with the Yankees. His health is more of an issue, but he was also just playing out terrible. I could see him completely falling off at least for one year. And that one year would be too much of a fall off with this current regime right now with so much pressure on him to, to mess up with that type of move. I also think the crowd, the, the Met fans will turn on him. We will turn on him before anyone else. I think a part of it is the two Cy Youngs. A part of it maybe just be his personality. Uh, I think that just has a bad contract written all over it. But I do appreciate Ian kind of giving us the other side of it. I do. The Mets lost the lottery. The Mets did not jump up in the lottery. We're like the Knicks. We went backwards. And because we went backwards, we dropped back 10 slots. It is what it is. I think we'd all agree that spending a lot of money in free agency and spending a lot of money to have a high payroll, it's worth the negative of going back 10 slots in the MLB draft. I was so confused watching it. And granted, I was watching it while at a commercial break on the show with Tiki. And Tiki was like, what are you watching? I said, I'm watching the MLB lottery. And as I'm watching it, Because I'm so used to the NBA lottery, they've got everybody's logo and where they finished in the standings, and then they start showing us who's picking 18, 17, 16. And you don't see the Yankees. And they're not X'd out as a team that's off. And they keep going. And I'm like, my God, I think the Yankees won the lottery. And then we get to the Mets slot where they were at seven, and their name isn't there. And now I'm thinking to myself, holy crap. Did the Mets and the Yankees jump up? And then I had a sick feeling in my stomach. I said, wait a second. These schmucks 
probably drop the Mets and Yankees back to 10 slots, which is the graphic they're not showing because they're only showing picks 18 through one. And then as the lottery wraps up and the Cleveland Guardians get the number one overall pick, I realize that's exactly what happened. So MOB needs to clean up their act because that was, ve- and I wasn't the only one. I was talking to a few friends of mine who were like, I thought we won the, I thought we won the lottery. I didn't see our team mentioned anywhere. What's going on? So a little disappointing. We had spent some time during the season as the season was crappy and crapping out, thinking maybe they're better off losing. And the truth is, even if they did lose more games, even if they finished in the bottom six or five, they were still going to fall a few slots back in the lottery. Let's be honest, especially with Cleveland jumping so many teams. So it is what it is. The Mets are picking, I guess it's 19th in this draft. They also signed Jose Iglesias to a minor league contract. I think if this was a year and a half ago, I'd be a little bit more excited. Jose was not in the major leagues last year. Now, you know his deal. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't walk. Hits for like a 270, 280 average, except that one year he had 300, and I think made the all-star team. And he's an excellent glove that you could stick anywhere in the infield. But I think between the versatility that Mauricio has, Zach Short, another guy they brought in, Joey Wendell, who they signed to a major league deal. If I had to guess right now, Iglesias ain't making the team. He's going to end up in AAA. He's going to opt out after a few weeks. He's going to try to get another job. I don't know if we ever see Jose Iglesias in the major leagues. Just because of what the Mets have right now. Obviously, injuries could happen and things could change. But if I had to guess, I don't think we ever see Jose Iglesias. And for my fellow Mets fans, I'll leave you with this. The Yankees are going to get Juan Soto. And I know that may be tough to hear. And I know that's going to be obnoxious. And it's going to be annoying because maybe you have friends who are Yankee fans and they're going to be all excited. And you don't like when they're excited. And they should be excited. Juan Soto's a tremendous player. But remember this. Juan Soto is renting in the Bronx. He will be buying in Queens. That's my confidence. (laughs) And I know that's tough to deal with for the next year as Soto becomes a fan favorite potentially at Yankee Stadium amongst Yankee fans. Until they complain, he tries to walk too much. And that's all he's thinking about. But it's a rental. He's going to get the free agency. And if, God forbid, the Mets strike out on their intended targets in this offseason, you bet your ass they're going to go balls to the wall to get Juan Soto one year from now. You can email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. We will dedicate our next episode in just a day or two to wrapping up the winter meetings and reading all of your emails. So any questions you have or thoughts you have, send it in. We'll definitely devote most of our winter meetings recap episode to your emails, the Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening and downloading a yet another edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.